Welcome to My Humble Opinion, the podcast where I share my stories, my life experiences, and my opinions on topics I'm passionate about. I'm your host, Emery Lewis, and look forward to connecting with you all. Let's have some fun. that this is picking up what I'm putting down. I don't know that it is. It is. I'm Mike too. So um, let me double check to see if this is loud enough. Here, that's picking up. I would talk into the mic as close as you can. Um, hello, hello. Can you hear me? Am I getting picked up? Hi, how are you? Try now. Hello, hi, how are you? Can you, you are. Yep, there I That's am. great. There's life. There's life. Okay. Um, well, I guess it's uh, all systems go. So, welcome to uh, My Humble Opinion, episode 10. <laughs> I'm your host, Emery Lewis, alongside Sarah Bettman, uh, my guest for today. I want to give a quick shout out to everyone um, who's tuned in. In the first nine episodes, it's been a few weeks since I've recorded and uh, put any content out. It's uh, needed a little bit of a break mentally and emotionally to kind of get myself back to balance. And so uh, I took a little bit of a hiatus so that I could come back and give uh, give as much as I could to this to this uh, this passion project, we'll call it. So as the universe would have it, I have uh, the opportunity to sit down with a colleague of mine who also happens to be a good friend. Um, she had, you know, it's, we met last year, was it? Um, last year on a Zoom call <laughs> for some board or something. Um, so we built over a friendship over time. Uh, she sits on a, on a board of a nonprofit uh, that I started uh, several years ago. Um, and outside of our working relationship, Sarah is someone who I think is just, I think the world of. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you. Uh, it's good to Happy have to be you. here. Yeah, it's good. Um, so I think today's topic, we it's a conversation that you and I have a lot of, um, is about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we, you know, we know it's a hot topic right now in our world. And um, I think the conversations that we've had have been so fruitful and have really opened my mind to a lot of different things. Um, and just hearing your story, knowing your background, um, and, and understanding how you have gotten to where you are has been something that I've, I've just been very uh, intrigued by. It's amazing. So I wanted to bring Sarah on today um, to talk with everybody, um, have a conversation about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, so with that, hi. Hi. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here in person and not yeah. in a little square on my computer. Yeah. I mean, and that's the funny part is this is the first time we've actually met in person, which is crazy. Um, I, I think it's just great. Uh, so, so Sarah, tell us a little about yourself. Uh, where are you from? Um, where are you going? <laughs> wow. Okay. All the in between. Uh, that's a lot. So I'll, I'll do a high level and then you can ask more questions because okay. you know, so I, um, so I hail from San Francisco Bay area, born and raised California. Okay. Uh, I am now in Pawpaw, Michigan. I, uh, I have recently transitioned out of a Fortune 500 role where I was director of diversity inclusion and frankly built a program, tested a concept, 
and now have gone out on my own and I'm doing diversity inclusion consulting work with organizations with a, a my background and my expertise is creating high-performing themes and leadership development. So it's a very narrow space and, and a space that I believe gets missed when people want to jump into strategy, jump into action, and really looking at the mindset. And what I tell leaders is don't do anything until you know how you feel about it. Otherwise, you just end up doing more harm than good. It ends up looking performative. And um, so uh, that is fairly new and... Um, Lots of experience that led to that, but I'll just start there. So that's a, that's a good overview. Um, <laughs> and just for the you know audience, I didn't prepare questions today. I kind of like to go off of you know go off the cuff and see how things go. More organic than anything. Um, so now that you're in this space, what are you? I mean, I think you and I both know that it's very oversaturated. Um, there are, it seems to be, and this is just from my very limited perspective, a lot of opportunists, uh, a lot of the work, it seems generic, just kind of buzzwords that get people going and then things fizzle out. Um, but what are you finding is the most beneficial part of being in this space for you personally? Yeah, and I love that for you personally because this is really personal. Right. Um, there are a lot of practitioners. There are a lot of great voices out there. There's a variety of, of uh, us out there. And for those of you who can't see me, I'm a white woman, right? And I've spent a lot of time thinking, what's my white, what's my space as a white woman? And one of the things that um, that I have found is missing, having done uh, from consulting, advancing women leaders' work, and inclusive leadership across the world and then getting into a corporation and building a program, that there is a leadership mindset shift and a need for leaders to understand leadership skills from a demographic perspective and realizing that women are having a different experience, people of color are having different experience, LGBTQ are having a different experience, and not necessarily from place of, oh my gosh, it's awful, it's horrible, but in order to be receptive and, and tap into the brilliance of yeah. the diversity in the group, yep. but also to create space. God knows we've all needed space because right. we all experienced COVID differently. We all experienced George Floyd differently. And, yep. and there's just a lot of things. So personally for me, what I found was missing is that, that conversation of, okay, let's talk about this. Um, what does it mean for you? Why is this important? And not from a head, but to a heart space. Because the truth of the matter is, I'm not proud of this anyway, but you know, I was doing what I would call diversity, equity, inclusion work for a good solid five years before I really understood in my heart systemic racism. I won't forget that moment. I call it a son of a bitch moment. Which, <laughs> sorry, guys, I maybe no, shouldn't listen, swear. It's but okay. This is, this is you know, adult <laughs> but, but this like, oh, oh. And the first place I want is shame. Okay. And, and you have to process very real emotions. Um, you know this, I spent 10 years as a firefighter paramedic and, and I very proudly was like, um, I'm not here to make this a great place for women to work. I now understand that's assimilation and, and though I had a great experience and comfortable being the only woman in the room, I certainly didn't have behaviors and understand the systemic dynamics and consequences of being the only woman in an organization that was very male. Not awful, but still had consequences. So very personally, I see there's this very early in the the decision to do something about DEI, a place to pause and hang out and decide for corporations primarily that I work with, how do you feel about it? How do your values support it? How do you how do your how does your strategy 
uh, support this because until you figure that out, you can get into situations where you're saying and supporting things without really understanding what they actually mean. Um, so for example, if you put a rainbow flag on in June for pride, but don't understand actually what equality or equity is for LGBTQ people, don't believe that transgender people are, are real, you're out of integrity. So right. I really believe that authenticity, integrity, and go slow to go fast and thoughtfulness is important. So that's what I bring to the space as a coach and as high performing teams and a kind of congratulations. Now, you know, no judgment if you didn't know, right. but today you do know. Now think about how does it work with your organization? So I was, you know, I was listening to a, a, an interview the other day of this, this young, this young man, he's an artist, we'll call him. He's, you know, he's in the rap space, the urban, but he's very artistic, right? And he doesn't conform to the, normal ideals of uh, your typical quote-unquote rapper but he was talking about um, people approaching him and his music his style his and he's bisexual right mm -hmm. so then you have you know you're a black man he's bisexual so he's got all of these you know people coming at him from different um, angles and so someone asked him or the interviewer asked him well how do you feel when people criticize your music and he said, well, uh, just to summarize, he said, they're not wrong. If they don't like it, that's because it's based on their reference points. Because some people listen to my music for the chord progression, mm -hmm. while as others listen to my music for the lyrics. So if you like the chord progression, but you don't like the lyrics, you like the song for that reason. Or if you don't like any of it, it's just your reference point. Everybody is kind of operating from reference points, and you yeah. can't. You can't be upset at someone because their reference points are what they are. I think it stems from how people are raised, their environment, what they're taught, what they absorb, what they don't. And so I've been applying that to this space as of late um, <clears throat> to say, you know, if people don't surround themselves with diverse people, um, I've, one of my favorite sayings is ducks choose ducks. They all, it's the truth, right. right? So if people are just in their group of ducks, they're not going to look over at swans. They're not going to look over at chickens. They're not going to. So when they interact with them, their reference points are just the ducks and everything that surrounds those ducks. So with your, when you had that revelation, it was probably because your reference point was, it was something different, right? And so what, what was it about your upbringing that may have, um, that, that gave you that, that perspective? going forward or just put you in a, in a place where life outside of that wasn't really absorbed in a way that brought you to where you are now? Yeah, that's a great question. And I actually talk about it with teams and coaching is the three contexts you have to look at. And mm. the first context is how did you grow up? Right. The second is where did you grow up in the systemic dynamics? You, you growing up in Rochester, me in San Francisco, when we had a conversation of Black Lives Matter versus Stop Asian Hate. The place we came from just because of where we were raised is different. Right. You know, it's funny because one of the questions we asked in that first context is when did you know race was a thing? Mm. And I'll go back to fourth or fifth grade. My friends, one was Japanese, one was white, and one was black. And I remember my friend, and we hung out, and... Um, didn't think about race at all. And I, I'll never forget that I went to her house and, and we went to a private school 
and it was fairly wealthy. I was I was lower income compared to some of the wealth that we were going to school with in San Francisco. And so I went to her house and I remember saying something like, I'm really surprised you live here because mm-hmm. you lived in an apartment. Yeah. Versus we had people who lived in houses that took up half of the city block. Now I was I was in a flat. I was yeah. <laughs> in something different. Yeah. But it was I saw the hurt on her face when I said it. And I think when I go back to the things that have happened in my life, that hurt and had an impact on me for me to start questioning why. Mm-hmm. Why? And I had projected a a white style of living and couldn't quite reconcile for them, which was a um, not the wealth of San Francisco elite. Okay. And having a moment of thinking it was wrong or different or mm-hmm. bad. And I, it stuck with me for a long time. And, and again, what stuck with me is the hurt. Mm-hmm. My intention was to comment on where they live, the impact was something very different. And starting to realize that um, she had a different experience than my middle class experience, but we both had a very different experience in some of the wealth. So I can't say there was any deep, profound moment other than that stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And that intention and, and separation from impact, the impact I had, and, and I believe it eroded some trust as much as you can erode trust with a fifth grade friend, right. but it's something I think about. And then you go forward, and I think the next profound moment, frankly, uh, was at 15, traveled, we did a house swap with our landlords, and went to Switzerland. And I remember thinking, okay, not diverse, but going, oh my God, how can they survive and live so different? Right. In the scheme of things, they didn't live so differently than us, but it was different than what I was experiencing. That was my first experience of people can actually survive with very tiny washing machines (laughs) (laughs) and these things. So that started me on a path to start connecting dots. And I should say I'm very high context, big picture. Mm -hmm. I think the final piece that really started me really thinking about difference through a different lens was then when I was a paramedic and realizing everyone has a story. Mm-hmm. And they, the bum on the street where where we would go and people would roll their eyes, oh my gosh, it's him again. I got him on a lucid day and I heard he was a Vietnam vet. He um, he came back from Vietnam and his wife left him and he was yelled as a baby killer. And it started to say that everyone has an experience. And frankly, where we worked, there was a large group of, um, of gang members outside of... Um, the cities and and the 20 year old gang member is still just a 20 year old in the back of the ambulance right and i think taking all those pieces so going to that first one was an eye-opening i don't i can't tell you to this day what it did for me or what path but it just opened my eyes and awareness of difference in a way that i hadn't considered it Uh, going into a visceral experience of of moving going to a different country and, and realize people survive just well even if they don't do it my way right to then the intensity of being with people in very difficult situations and starting to understand that everyone has a story behind what they're doing made me stop and think, there's got to be more to this, which then is something I've carried out and frankly, I think played into leadership development. That that is a a pervasive question. If you're going to be a great leader, Mm -hmm. you need to be able to lead a team and understand there's more to your person than their job description and the activity or the project they're working on. And then as I started to get more in the space of diverse inclusion, which frankly was through healthcare and health disparity conversations, I started to overlay it. So there isn't one moment other than there was a podcast I was listening to that helped me understand systemic 
racism, but it was more a series of events that kept opening, opening, and opening, and and me stopping for a second to question my initial reaction and realized, okay, there's more here than perhaps what I understood. Right. Now, I also have the magic of retrospection yeah. to look at how those all come together to get me here. I can't say I was so wise in the moment to understand it. Right. You know, I think, you know, one thing I've learned over the last, I don't know, several years, but having the opportunity to look back and to look at things for what they were, when I was younger and not understanding life the way I do now is there's there it, there seems to be a hierarchy of how we approach people and I think the first thing is social economics like your exterior which is a human characteristic right we right. judge we always judge books it's the first thing we see is of a person right and so um I don't think we do enough talking about how the socioeconomics of life affect all of these issues um, in a lot of ways because, I mean, there are a lot of uh, underrepresented, um, disenfranchised people of all races and colors, even white people, Yep. right? And a lot of the times, from my understanding, is that the people, these disenfranchised groups of white people are poor poor whites right mm -hmm. and that that's that's the measure that's the measure of how they're treated because of their socioeconomic status right um overall i just think that there is this inability to get past our capitalistic mindsets and get to a human place with treating people um i think more than ever last year we saw that uh we saw people care more about their status financially, socially than their neighbor or a person that's not from their space, right? They're the ecosystem more or less. So um, I, I just believe that the conversations that we need to have, I mean, maybe this is more outside of the, the structure of a corporation, but just in general, from a human standpoint, mm -hmm. Like you said, the person, the twenty-year-old gangbanger, is still just a twenty-year-old kid, yep. and that 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 homeless person is is a Vietnam vet. He's still a human being at the end of the day, and I think that there's too much uh, focus on the tangible, material things that people possess as ways to divide us, to separate us, to put us in groups, and then you look at the systems, and the systems are what don't allow certain people in certain groups to even achieve those certain levels of success more or less. And so I've personally challenged myself to stop looking at, or at least have the conversation with people about looking at the systems and stop looking at the people. Mm -hmm. So to say that we can't, we can't attach white people to racism because racism has existed. The system is what it is and either people care about changing it or they don't. If they don't, in my opinion, I don't consider them racist. They just are going to stay over in their space and do what they have to do because it doesn't affect them. Whereas there are actually people that are, are actually racist, and I mean, then that's just how you, you know that's just their issue. That's their burden, yeah. right? Um, I think it's the trick is trying to figure out how to. And I I don't know. Maybe this is something you can answer. 
because I'm, I'm off on a tangent right now. But um, <laughs> Welcome to our conversations. Yeah, I mean, hey, we have just gone right into yeah. lockstep of what we always um, do. So I think my question is, do you change the systems or you, do you just allow everyone in? Right. I think there's the big a big difference because the systems seem to work for they work. They work. So if you take race out of it, the people that are benefiting from it, they're still people. They, they're work. It's working for them. So do you change it or do you just allow everyone in? I don't know. Yes. Both. Yes. Okay. And and here's the thing. Okay, this is, and I want to be really clear and conscious. I get to be here as me yeah. and one of many voices in this conversation. So right. this is based on my experiences, upbringing, work experience and such. I think it's a combination of both, okay. right? So I, ha you and I have talked um, about kind of the context where you grow up. Mm -hmm. I have friends and I, I, I have just relocated from San Francisco to um, rural Michigan. The experience of people in rural Michigan is very different than that in San Francisco Bay Area, mm -hmm. right? And the things that were relevant and important in San Francisco are not as important in Michigan. And we're connecting on a human level, even though I know they have different, very different beliefs in a number of ways. Um, but, you know, I like to say probably the person who has the most different beliefs than me is the first to check on me and make sure I'm okay mm -hmm. having just moved. Yeah. So there is a connecting on a human level that I think you have to connect on a human level and a person level before you start moving people. Okay. Right. Yep. And I think where we miss is I'm in a conversation trying to change your mind. And whether I work for talk with colleagues and friends or I talk with corporations, like I don't actually care where you land on this, mm -hmm. but give some time and thought, add some information that you may not have considered before and make a decision what, how you feel about it and where you're going to engage. Once you've made that decision, I know where you stand. So there's corporations that have taken a stand on LGBTQ rights and that they don't support it. Mm -hmm. Great. I like to use the example of Patagonia. If you don't believe in climate change, you probably don't want to work for Patagonia. Right. Right. Because they've been really clear. They're activists in a, an environmental sense. They're very clear about what their stand. And I think we also have to peel away, not knock them down, but peel away the systems make subtle and small changes. Now, some people will say, okay, that's not fast enough. Well, it actually, once you start doing it, mm -hmm. it starts going faster and it starts to be, I believe, less expensive. So I'll give you an example. So the orig origins of maternity and paternity leave were quite imbalanced and they actually perpetuated the biases of women stay at home with kids, men be in corporations. Right. So women would have long leaves, they go on disabilities and men would get two weeks. Mm-hmm. So the message is you you male, go be with your family and hurry up and come back and, and you woman, go have your experience, raise your children, and then come back when you're ready. And it was an organization, a system that supported this it was like, great, look at us. We're, we're, we're doing great things for women. Now, there's been an evolution and a lot of thought. No one's perfected it and figured out that realizing there are men who want to stay home with their kids. Right. Men are primary are not always the primary breadwinners. So some of that is we've got to change it so it's more equitable in the type of leave and even going as far as going into family leave. So someone like me who forgot to have kids, I might have to take care of an older family member or in, uh, say, communities and cultures where the family is a unit in multiple generations. Yep. Child give taking time off for child giving or or for tios and tias that that aren't your parents but you do want to take leave and support all these things don't have to be debated 
So I believe both need to happen simultaneously. Okay. And then when you create a system, so if you go in a direction of an inclusive culture or environmentally conscious safety culture and manufacturing, there's many ways that you shift culture. There are conversations of this is where we're going. We want you to come with us, but you may not come, but you're managing on a behavioral level. Okay. So take that to the personal. What is our family system? What's our friend system? What's our church system, community system? How do we want to engage and influence and impact it? It's not sitting on other sides and throwing barbs. It's let's have a conversation and figure out what's important. Most schools, the importance is the well-being of children. I think most people can agree. And, and frankly, you're, you're brilliant at this. Where do we connect? Mm -hmm. And then let's, let's get into our different perspectives from a place of considering different points of view, right. which may need, lead to some systemic changes. Right. Right. So I believe it's a parallel process and a little bit of both that moves us forward. And in my experience, when you start doing that, it actually moves faster than it feels like when you start. It's a good answer. And I, yeah. Um, Thank you. Yeah, that was a great answer. <laughs> <laughs> that was a really good answer. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, these, obviously, this is something that you and I think about all the time. And I mean, it's our lives, essentially. Um, I think that another conversation needs to be had is about what what is diversity, equity, and inclusion. I think we need to s stop looking at it just in the context of black and white. There's there are so many layers to this stuff um, that need to be addressed. That was a great example, the the maternity leave. Yep. But that's part of diversity, equity, inclusion. Like you know, and so that in turn I think breaks down the stereotypes. Yeah. Um, gender roles. Um, Obviously, we have stuff going on right now in Texas that I'm sure you're aware of, which is holy smokes. Um, but again, we have, we have, we have, we're, we find ourselves at the, in this place where it, it blows my mind that a governing body is making decisions for someone else's body. And so... Um, it's disturbing in a lot of ways, but to the point, that's even part of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Like, and it's been going on for a long time. Correct. So right correct. now, white women are all up in arms around what's happening in Texas. Well, guess what? Let's talk about the hundred years of the impact of black women in slavery and right. some of the lack of control of white or women and men's bodies right. in slavery. Right. right? And right. so this is not a new concept. This isn't sudden. I will tell you one thing, and, and this is not to make it all go away, but something that I think is really important for me as I think about it. So mm -hmm. I come from a coaching construct of, of systems and the idea that, that you reveal the system to itself so that it can change. Mm -hmm. And I think we're in a place in the world where a lot of this was underground. No one was thinking about it. Right. But when it comes so overt, overt mm -hmm. when it comes becomes so real, it's very real for the women of Texas right now right. and their families, right? Um, and frankly, for those of us sitting outside watching, now we can do something about it. Now we can have real conversations because we're not discussing concept or theory. This is very real. And frankly, they can start to see, do the, the, um, is Texas going to lose companies, right. frankly, that have moved? A lot of big companies have moved to Texas to bring their business, frankly, from California to Texas. Are they going to stay? Uh, so there's an economic impact. Is their community going to stay? There's Now we can start to see the impact in a way that felt hearsay and not real, certainly maybe to a person like me who's not 
active in corporate, I am active, but let's say yeah. I am the person who's not active in corporations, active in the space. It feels too far away. Right. Now it's very visible and now we can watch and see, okay, what's the impact? What happens? What happens to a state when they make such a decision? Yeah. And now we can have a discussion about real things and change it. So it's not great right now. Right. But now we're looking at something and all of us are seeing it. Right. Now, whether we engage or not, it goes back to your early point, is, an, is another topic. But at least we're talking about it in a way that maybe it was distance for a number of people. Yeah. And so it's hard to watch. But part of this work, and you and I have talked about this, is we can't save the world. Otherwise, if we start holding on to every cause and everything and, mm -hmm. and not creating a way to manage and have impact, um, it's exhausting. And I mentioned to you after George Floyd was murdered, I, I felt so much shame that I wasn't protesting in the streets and I wasn't doing more. Mm -hmm. But at the time in the organization I was in, I was working 12 hours a day coaching and supporting leaders. And I realized there's a place I can have an impact and I, I can provide a s support. There are spaces I can go into to move people on the progress, mm -hmm. on the spectrum of conversation and such that can make a difference. So when we talk about Texas and these other places, where can you make the most difference and have the most impact and then bring your brilliance, whatever that is in the space, whether you're anti-racism person, whether you're an activist person, yep. there are people who hold brilliant space. I think you're one of them and having discussions about these topics. You're certainly better at, than me. I'm more on the operational strategy side that all of us together working to this will create a critical mass that will shift it. Yeah. But now we can see what's going on. We right. can see the consequences of our decision. We can see, frankly, I was a complacent voter for many years. I was an issues voter for many years. And it wasn't until a friend of mine said, you're just looking at president. you got to see what's going down ballot because mm -hmm. that's actually where the stuff is happening. Right. And we're seeing the results of probably a lot of political complacency for a whole lot of people mm -hmm. for a long time that now is bringing activism and, and political engagement in the new generations and in people that maybe have kind of said, ah, it's cool, I'll vote on my every four years and didn't actually think about what they were voting for. Yeah. You know, I think one place I'm really jaded with all of this is I look back at um, situations like, what is it, the, the war on drugs, right? And so the war on drugs, for a lot of people th that don't know, was was it was it Reagan? It was Reagan. Uh, crack cocaine became uh, a big drug in yep. the eighties and eighties and nineties. And so he put mandatory minimum sentencing in for people for offenders, whether you're a dealer or user, something in between. Um, so that ended up sending a lot of people of color to prison for a long time but if you look at how it unfolded it was that drug that was predominantly in the black communities in the United States and so the effect that the law had was criminalizing and punishing black people mm -hmm. for their drug use which if you keep going down the line is addiction is a disease and so um to this day it's it's still having a massive impact on black communities um where i'm jaded is when stuff like that happens and then you look you fast forward to today there's another drug epidemic that is now affecting middle america and suburban america 
and is being treated as a health crisis. Mm-hmm. And so, because, so it tells me that it's doable to address these issues in a human way when you look at people as human beings. It's a health issue today because it was a health issue then. And that's because disease is, is, is addiction is a disease. And so, you know, you don't want to be that person that says, well, you know, the reason why they're treating it this way now is because it's all over Cape Cod and Martha's Vineyard. And it, but it's the truth. But it's, I mean, I, so the war on drugs was something that led to an increase in black and brown people in prison. Right. But that wasn't the start of putting black and brown. No. I mean, it, it no. goes back to Jim Crow. It was right. just a new version of Jim Crow, right? right? right. So it is fair to say because, you know, the current epidemic is predominantly white middle class people. Um, And so it is a health crisis and that disparity. Um, You know, a lot of, and we've talked about this, understanding current day events and the deep roots and kind of what it's a continuation of intentional or not. Mm -hmm. I I think there's enough uh, subconscious, um, what is it, um, subconscious momentum Mm-hmm. on things that I'm sure people thought the war on drugs was rational because it was the thing of the day and was hard and it was right. scary. Right. But when you back up and have what the the hindsight of time, you can say, wow, that's just a continuation of right. perpetuating a story that black people are dangerous. Right. And, and, and such. So that's going back to there's the individual experience and there's the education of the system that needs to happen parallel. Mm-hmm. And okay. so I, you know this, I live on a cannabis farm. Yeah. I worked for an organization that was engaged in cannabis. And I think a lot about, like, we can't have this be an organization where white people are mo- making money on the backs and on the, doing the exact things that black and brown people are in prison for. Right. And I, I actually am happy. I'm learning about this, so I'm not speaking as an expert in any way. So mm-hmm. anyone hearing this, please forgive me if I'm missing the mark. But Michigan is doing a lot to help people re- repatriate, for lack of a better word, out of prison into jobs, reducing the cost of getting licenses to run cannabis farms for black and brown people. There's a black and brown cannabis association. I was very happy when I moved that there that there's already a consciousness mm-hmm. that it can't be um the, the the disparity is real and and there that for people who are experts in the cannabis space um, now magically legal in michigan that there is a need to create a pathway into the business to bring their expertise um, and that's an example of system yep. shifting the system but yep. here's the catch just like uh after slavery slavery's done sorry you don't get 50 acres and a mule you get right. nothing good luck right you can't bring people out of prison that have been there for 10 and 20 years and say great go run and run a business like there's still education and individual components there's education in the cannabis community that needs to be done to help people be receptive of of and aware of the bias that maybe led to the problems in the first place so there's more work at the individual level and the systemic level to allow the the two things to work together and actually create the outcomes and the things that you want. Yeah, you know, it's, um, you know, and, and quick disclaimer, I should have said this at the top of the show. I'm not an expert either. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, I frankly, I'll just got to say this. I don't think anyone's an expert no, because every no. time I learn something, yeah. I, I realize there's so much more to learn. The expert is the person who knows they don't know. Right. So that when someone says to me, you know, cert- one thing's happening 
I got, you know, in my community, I, I learn, I got to ask questions. I got to go do some research. Yeah. I, I think the expertise is actually in how to learn and grow about topics you don't understand, mm -hmm. you don't experience, and frankly, might be hard to look at. Yeah. And I think that's uh, the uncomfort is where I think is the hardest place to, to, to really, the hardest space to work in is the uncomfort. I feel like people are so uncomfortable um, talking about certain things around these topics and also I find that people take it personal mm -hmm. and I you know when I've had these conversations I, I try to make sure to let people know like I don't blame you for slavery I don't blame you for redlining I don't blame you for women's suffrage I don't blame you for any of this stuff and I also don't expect people to have the same drive and desire and passion to, to help as I do um, I think it's nice when you find yourself in a space with someone who says, oh, I get it. Oh, I finally see it. Um, and I've, I've just been on autopilot my whole life, not looking at what's going on over here because it hasn't affected me and I've just been able to keep going. And even in that, and even in saying that, people need to understand that that uh, takes nothing away from their experience. Not to say that they haven't struggled in certain ways. We've all struggled as human beings. It's part of the human experience. Right. And so when you are able to struggle or any, but still progress and you're struggling based on not the system itself, just life happening, that's one thing compared to uh, the system saying, no, you're not allowed. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's where we need to do, do better in, in having a conversation of things are a certain way from times past and they're not changing because Yet and still, the people that have been able to kind of progress throughout life, whether it's them in that moment or a lineage or just keeps going, they're not looking at it like, wow, there's something really wrong with this system. We have to change it because it's it's benefiting them. And, you know, maybe it's not even benefiting them. They're just able to. You can't see. I mean, as a white woman, I couldn't see it. Yeah. I didn't understand it. Like like I could conceptually in my head. Mm -hmm. Like and, and so I told you earlier, like I didn't understand systemic racism. I heard understood it in my head. Right. But the shift was from my head to my heart. Mm -hmm. And that son of a bitch mo was like, Oh, now I see it. And right. and I will do this call out. Seeing White is a podcast that was incredibly powerful and contributed to me learning a lot. Mm -hmm. And it was the conversation and I'm not gonna re remember his name. I probably should have figured out if I was gonna call it out. But he's a black man and he's talking about if I do something, it's on behalf of all black people. So if I graduate from university, I'm representing my people. Right. If I steal something, I'm representing my people. Where I had the luxury to graduate from university as Sarah Bettman. Mm -hmm. I get to be an individual. So when you start to get into these dynamics, and, and for some reason that for me was the little crystal that just made it all make sense. Mm -hmm. Like if you are an underrepresented group, um, it it can be that you are on behalf of all and you don't get to be an individual. Right. You don't get to have your own experience. Right. And, um, and the stereotypes and the stories and all this stuff collapse a whole group of people where I can walk through the world and I can have my own experience. And by the way, that's what I'm coached on. Go be your authentic self. Go have a great experience. Well, you can be our authentic self, but you're still a black man. Mm -hmm. And in a world that is might collapse you, 
with all black people, right. which is a miss, right? And there's reasons why this, stories why they're, we're doing this. And one of the things, I, so I teach a course, it, it, it's not the NLBL course, but it's to invite people in the discussion. So it's, it's more of an experience to invite people in discussion. And I asked, why is being inclusive hard? And one of the gentlemen in the class said, well, people aren't open-minded. And I said, kind of. I think you're right, but I, I think it's context. We're busy in our lives. Right. We're busy in our lives yep. and in our world, in our context. And if my world, if I live out in suburban, uh, white, upper white class, uh, you know, Rochester, some of these things we're talking about aren't relevant. And I'm just trying to get through the day, get my kids to school, put food on the table, get through my job, meet my metric. So the, the discretionary energy to think about this stuff, it's not that they lack open-mindedness. So the example that I used, and I think this is a great book, Becoming Nicole, is the parent who's raising transgender child. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, being transgender and LGBTQ right, rights, LGBTQ rights becomes relevant. Right. And you said this earlier, if you walk through and you don't, I have my one black friend, yeah. right? That doesn't mean you're gonna understand the system and experience of, of say, other people they're having in the, their black experience and having questions or gay experience or women's experience, whatever right. the experience. So it's that reminder of if you want to feel different, you have to change your context mm -hmm. and you have to make it important. Like you said, it's we're both passionate. I, I dream about this stuff. I think about it. And going back to that first story with my friend, like I've, I, I'm telling you about it many years later that I remember from fifth grade, like, yeah. like, so it's, I have intellectual capacity that I want to put to this. I think that's one of the things that we have to help people is make it relevant to them in their day to day. So in the inertia and the noise and the things that pull their energy, this becomes important. Yeah. So it happens, happenstance, like I said, if, if a parent's raising a non-binary or transgender child, all of a sudden LGBTQ rights one day they weren't relevant, the next day they are. Right. Um, you know, if you if you start having a brother or sister who's in a multiracial racial relationship, you, you might, this doesn't guarantee it, you might actually become interested in the different experience of a different ethnicity or race, right? right? So I think that's a big part of this, is we have to understand that in day-to-day, -day, people are just getting through their days, and this is another thing out there that isn't relative, mm -hmm. relevant. Not great, not awesome, and at the same time, and this is why corporations are a great place, because I believe it's a leadership imperative. You're going to lead an organization and say you're a great place to work for employees. You have to be for all employees, mm -hmm. and you have to understand some things, whether it's neurodiversity, whether it's ability, whether it's race, ethnicity, if you're a global company. That's your responsibility as a leader. Now, that's the lever I can pull in the work I do. Right. If you are in your community or in your church or in your school, there is a way to influence and impact and make it relevant to day to day. But sometimes this debate is, why are we putting so much energy to this? Why are we putting money to this mm -hmm. when we got to figure out this over here? And it's just not relevant. It doesn't cut through the noise and the day to day and the energy of a certain group and the white privilege of that is I don't have to. I can choose not to think about different experiences. You don't get to choose it. Well, to that point, um, you know. I guess you could, but. Yeah. So, <laughs> We've talked about it. <laughs> yeah, we have. Um, so I have, um, you know, as I grow and I get older and, you know, I started seeing a therapist uh, 2014, I want to say. 
since that time I've had a you know I'm I'm with a new one now and he kind of really just blew the lid off of my anger and um a lot of it stems from and being in a in a in a white world more or less mm-hmm. going to school being going to predominantly white schools private schools um being one of very few black people um and my blackness being challenged all the time constantly yeah. you're not you're, you're the whitest black man i've ever met um you're not really black those i mean this is if i had a dollar for every time <laughs> someone said that to me even to this day uh i'd be on the forbes list <laughs> so <laughs> um and but I think to contrast that in my own neighborhood, in my own environment, black kids, oh well, you want to be white. Everything I I was or stood for represented being white. So I've been in this gray area where I've never felt like I fit in anywhere. And even in the profession that I'm in, it's just not, it's just not culturally, it's just not conducive with. You know my culture, my my understanding of life, my environment, uh, my upbringing, and so I have, I think, subconsciously uh, built this this wall around people or around myself to keep people away. Mm-hmm. I w- I've always felt, even in college, people challenged my blackness or poked at it to say it wasn't really black. You know, a, a lot of times. The interactions with white people has been well you don't wear certain clothes you don't speak a certain way i can challenge your blackness and say you're really not black and, I, and the question is always well what does that mean number one and number two how about we trade for a day and you go get pulled over by the police and see how you feel right just a small example yeah um because a police officer doesn't care about what i'm wearing or what school i went to what degree i have right so and they don't get that um so I think, you know, um, even, in, even in that, with that experience in these corporations, I think it's important to understand that I'm not the only person in this world that has, has that same life experience. No. And to back to your earlier point about the gentleman on the podcast who said, when I graduate, I'm, I'm, I'm graduating for everybody. When I get that degree, when, I'm, when I steal, then, oh yes, it's, it's, I have that same life experience. And I've always felt, and then this is, I, you know, I've having conversations with women. I felt like around this topic, um, growing up, I couldn't get mad. Mm-mm. I couldn't get angry. I don't care how, you know, how much I was, people were poking at me or whatever. I could never get angry. No, nope, because nope. I knew exactly what that was going to mean. I'm the angry black guy. And and that's some of the things that I talk about in that. You know, women have the double bind, yeah. and and there's multiple ways to define the double bind, but reference is likability and leadership. And mm-hmm. if you're a strong leader, you're a bitch. And if if you're too likable, you're not strong enough to be a leader. Right. right. But that impacts people of color as well. Yeah. An angry black man rolls off the tongue. Easily. Like the fact it rolls off the tongue means it's a thing. Right. 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 And I actually had an experience with someone. Um, they were going to hire for a role, and it was a black man and a woman, and they. 
they hired a woman, and this woman was in the likeness of the person hiring. And mm-hmm. I said, so let's talk about this. Why not the black man? He was qualified. He didn't advocate for himself. And I was like, he's not going to. Right. There's a lot of reasons why. And right. and, and by the way, where does he didn't advocate for himself on the job description? Right. And um, I, I think you're making some really important points because back to the kind of aha moment is you're measured against a definition of blackness that changes depending on who you're interacting with. Right. Right. So you can't win. Damned if you do. Damned if you don't. And, and if you don't mind, I'm going to go on a tangent. Uh, by the way, everyone out there in the world, we go on tangents <laughs> all do. the time. We so do. if this feels like a wild ride, <laughs> uh, it, it is. Welcome to our Hold brains. On. Hold, Hold on. on. For dear life. But so when I was in the fire service and, and frankly, at a very young age, I, I never wore my hair down. So I have my hair down. Yeah. This is meaningful. I think about it. And a lot of stuff we're talking about is the energy it takes to decide to do the things we do. Right. It's less so now, but um, somehow in middle school, somehow I learned it was unsafe to be feminine, and I never wore my hair down, and I dressed very masculine. And then when I got in the fire service, it perpetuated it because I didn't want to be seen as weak. I'm short. I'm five four, um, and even though I got voted best overall skills in my fire academy, people didn't trust me. They didn't trust me to do the job, and I was always feminine, and, or I was always masculine, and I just tabled this part of my femininity Mm -hmm. and where I'm going with this is the consequence of what you're talking about so I put I'm more I'm a more masculine woman anyway right I'm I'm not a lot into hair and makeup I can do hair and makeup but I put such a lid on that part of me because of shame or fear or being you know not seen as strong enough that the impact was after 10 years I was burned out body mind and spirit and what I started to learn, and this is going to sound silly, so I can't believe I'm telling you this on public radio, uh, <laughs> is like I, I heard a song on the radio and I started dancing. Yeah. And it was the first time I danced in so long. And I felt an energy through me that became clear it was feminine. Yeah. Right? Nothing rational about this. And I'm like, holy crap, I have, lo- I have drained my tank. Because when we lose our authentic self, whatever it is, whether it's our heritage, whether it's our gender, whether it's our identity, whatever it is, it's a drain on our tank. And we give, give, give and do, do, do. We never fill that tank. Mm -hmm. And so I burned out body, mind and spirit. And it took two years to recover. And part of that recovery was claiming my femininity, feeling safe about it. It wasn't like, okay, yay, I'm a woman. It's great getting into an environment where who am I as a woman? What does it mean? Who am I? Oh, I like the outdoors. Huh? Forgot about that. Okay. So I love the outdoors. Nature is where I fill my tank. And this long journey of who am I as an authentic self mm-hmm. without shame. Right. And I think what you're describing and thank goodness you found therapy because that's not something that happens in many communities no. to the detriment of whether anger is manifested in anger, it could be depression, it could be any number of things, that if you put that side of you away, like I can't, I can't be culturally black in the way that's meaningful based on my upbringing or whatever it is that's meaningful, or I can't be gay because of my cultural upbringing, or I can't be feminine, whatever it is we're putting a lid on, mm-hmm. we're missing our wellspring that fills our tank that allows us to be our best self in the world. And not in the white privilege way of being authentic in our best self, mm-hmm. but in the spirit of, I am here created in this being and vessel to contribute to the world. And how do I navigate this world if I'm not tapping into a 
wholehearted piece of myself. Right. And the consequences are burnout, depression, a whole host of things that I think we're seeing in these marginalized communities yep. that are mental health, that are exhausting, and people are just freaking tired. Yeah. Yeah. You know, culturally, growing up, it was therapy wasn't a thing. Nope. Nope. Like, no, we're good. We're fine. You know, we're black. We can handle it. We're not going to go. And most of the times, you know, what we saw on television was, you know, someone sitting in one chair and across from them was a white person. So in my mind, I'm thinking I have to go share these, my home life and these really, you know, icky parts of my life and self with a, a complete stranger that's white, who's just nothing, just going to get paid. And then, but, you know, some, somewhere, somewhere along the way, I said, I need, I need this. I need to try it at least. And so I've, I think it's been huge for me. And, you know, I think the anger is built up over time because I have wanted so badly just to just to be me, mm-hmm. and I, I've never brought uh, myself to a, a space and experience that, where I've tried to fit in, and I think people have noticed that and couldn't figure it out, and so they just kept poking. And um, you know, I I was watching an interview the other day uh, of a radio personality. He's you know he's, he's written books and things, and he said something that was so profound to me. He said, you know, I don't think we take enough time to realize that we're 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 both we're half male and we're half female. Oh yeah. We all have feminine and masculine energy and makeup. Yeah. And society says, well, nope, you're a man, you're supposed to be this way, you're a woman, you're supposed to be this way, and men can be sensitive. That was one thing I really loved about growing up. I was able to cry and be my sensitive self. Um, I was able to feel emotion, show emotion. I never felt like, there was never this time where you're a man, get up, you can't cry. Right. Um, and so, and then being around, you know, growing like outside of my grandfather, I was raised by women. So I, I was always around, you know, like it just, um, so I don't feel, you know, I don't feel ashamed to be sensitive and talk about my feelings. Um, so I think, you know, I, I commend you for, for finding this, like this, that beauty of, of the, your other, the other part of you that is, is there. Um, I, I don't think a lot of people have the courage to do that. Um, I don't think they know it's a thing. I certainly didn't until I started my exploration. Mm-hmm. And, and and I think, you, you know, toxic max masculinity is yeah. a thing that we talk about because, yeah, we're all a spectrum of masculine and feminine. Right. right? And, and boy, if I'm on the fire line or, frankly, in a boardroom, I can pull masculine out. Right. But if I do it at the expense of feminine, I'm missing a whole part of myself. Right. Same as feminine who, who feel like they can't bring, uh, men who, mm-hmm. who feel like they have to bring the masculine but can't bring the feminine. Right. Well, I guess the same difference. But anyway, you mm-hmm. get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and that permission. I think there's a whole body of work just for boys and men to give permission to be your authentic self. Right. You may still be very masculine. Right. You may be a very feminine woman, no judgment, but if you're, if you're resonating as yourself, like, energetically and right. I'm not trying to get woo woo but when yeah, you yeah. when you feel good in yourself and I mean I think that's one of our I, things I preach about a friendship I can show up as me yeah I don't have to explain myself to yeah. you we get to hang out and go all over the place uh, at the expense of you all listening yeah <laughs> but it feels good we feel good when they're in place so that's what I'm talking about resonating yeah. Yeah. and part of I think a lot of the work with my personal coaching clients is where do you resonate I resonate in the outdoors Mm -hmm. I don't resonate in cities and there are other people who resonate in cities and don't resonate in the outdoors where are you on the masculine feminine and some days you're both and when we start to figure that out and give ourselves permission it's great but when you're defending it Mm -hmm. there's a part of it that that is not letting it be okay 
And I, you said something, and I'm, I'm going to ask you a question about it. I'm going to flip the script on there you here. You go. Right. I'm with it. <laughs> because you said, <clears throat> I was just trying to be me in all these spaces. I'm curious, really? Because part of me wonders if, if there was a little bit of trying to be something that mm -hmm. was individual mm -hmm. but still wasn't you. Because when people show up as their authentic self, they're really unrolling. You know, um, I think it. I think the way I was approached just caused this chilling effect. That if I just stepped out real quick and it was like, oh, and I was like, okay, never mind. I would test the waters. I put my toe in real quick and knew right away that this I, me being me wasn't going to be okay. And so I would just retreat. Mm. And so then over time, the retreating, I'll take the, I'll use the analogy, it was a brick. Each retreat was another brick. Yeah. And so I would just, to the point where I just ended up, you know, and my therapist you know, pointed this out, uh, the more bricks that I would build the wall with, the angrier I got. Mm -hmm. And then rather than, but the, but but knowing in my mind, oh, if you if you blow your your lid, it could cost you a lot. Yeah. And so now, I need an outlet. I have to find a way to. So now it's like. I I would take it out on myself, right? I would take all that frustration out of myself in any way, right? I'm not saying it was like I was, you know, harming myself any in any way, but emotionally I was taking it out on myself, and so. You know, I don't think I ever really felt safe anywhere, um, but I, there was this yearning and this desire to, to show up in these spaces, whether new or familiar, and just be. Yeah. And I can never just be. I could never just be. You know, I can't. I can't the number of times people say to you, "How did you make it out?" I'm like, "What does they fucking mean? What the <laughs> fuck does that mean?" I grew up in a you know an in inner city of Rochester. Yes. Okay. But that, just because of that, you know you know th things were not easy you know dad's not around you know no father I have a father figure my grandfather I have my grandparents but you you're so enamored by like you're so it's like almost like you look at me like I'm some kind of alien it's like, why did you make it out it's like, oh and I'm like well, why isn't it okay for someone from my neighborhood to go on and do things I don't understand I, I just don't get it right. because I don't live in a certain area I mean I understand there's certain uh um societal you know, trappings right yeah. drugs and there were a lot of drugs in the neighborhood drug dealers prostitutes all that you can fall into that very easily right but just because you live in a different area let's say a suburb doesn't mean you're not subjected to the same things it's just you're hiding behind or you're able to it's not out in your face there's there are a lot of kids you know that grow up in suburban america whose lives are not perfect their home lives are terrible and they struggle Nobody asks them how they make it out. Only reason is because they don't see. Right. But I, what I took from that it was people were associating me with my environment. Well, you were grew up in this area, so you must be of this. It's like no, it's just we can't afford to live anywhere else. <laughs> like I don't, you know right. what I mean? So or, or or you you I heard this a lot. You um you play golf. You 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 wear certain clothing brands, uh, but you live over here. How come? How come? I don't know. I guess because that's what I like. Like I, like I, I don't have answers for people. I just don't know. I just this is just who I am. Yeah. I don't know why it has to be that I have to. I can't. I don't know. So here's a fascinating thing, and and I don't want this to sound like I'm telling you anything, but it's something that I thought a lot about. So I have a a, a friend 
great thought leader, Richard Leiter, who talks about purpose. And mm -hmm. one of the things he talks about is you have your gifts, those things that you do, you would do for free, mm -hmm. uh, the things that you just never learn doing, you just know how to do. And I think your ability to connect and help people connect to kind of a, a least common denominator to move is important. And then there's where you put, apply it to your passions, the, yeah. the thing that's important. So my skill is people just tell me the darned things and, and resonate with my coaching, right? Mm -hmm. So so that's in some ways a, a gift or public speaking or whatever it is that I have. And I apply it right now in the DEI space, in advancing women leaders space. But it's also general leadership. Frankly, if you're going to spend all this time work, I want you to feel good about it. Right. But the thing that Richard talks about that I, I think a lot about especially as I get older, is you need to bring those things to a space where it's appreciated. Yes. And I've started to okay. realize that I brought my gifts and passions to places that didn't appreciate me, not because they didn't appreciate me, but for some reason it wasn't a good fit. Yeah. And, um, and I, bent, I twisted myself to make it fit. Yeah. And what he has done is give me permission, and I don't know if the, I don't know if you intended it, Richard, but that's the deal. I'm gonna make him listen to this. Um, <laughs> that's good. Is is that it's allowed me to say, am I appreciated? Is my voice heard here? Am I making the difference I want? Mm -hmm. And no judgments. It's like dating, right? You, you date someone, and gosh, on paper, there's you can see this future that looks amazing, but something's just not working. Right. And no matter how magical it seems or what the logo is for your company or what the title is on your office door or your business card or what car you drive or whatever, if it's not fitting, then don't give it. Right. And I've gotten much more discriminating about the people I spend time with and mm -hmm. discriminating about the places I f give most of myself to and the places I work. And, and that was a hard shift for me because I always had it driven by what's outside of me mm -hmm. and I didn't realize I got an opportunity to say actually yeah, that's not where I'm going to give myself it doesn't work it doesn't resonate and I'd like to tell you I've known that for the last 20 years but it's only been the last few years where mm -hmm. I started to really what does that mean for me now that doesn't mean I have a small community that doesn't mean I don't engage broadly mm -hmm. but how I engage and how much of myself I give changes based on the environment because if someone's not receptive to diversity inclusion or experience of women and they're not a paying client i'm not going to use that as my platform to give my energy to yeah okay and so yeah. it's something i spend a lot of time thinking about and and as we talk i think that piece is something that that missing in your conversation around where do you where do you give yourself where do you give your wisdom your brilliance i mean this podcast is amazing because you're going to find your audience mm -hmm. But I think part of it for all of us is finding those spaces, regardless yeah. of the system, regardless of the questions, because then when people poke, you're more solid and the pokes don't shift you or cause you to put another brick in. Yeah. It's like, cool. Peace out. Nice talking to you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, the poking, you know, that those, it, it, I don't know that I'm even there yet, but it's taken a long time to look at that. Mm -hmm. It's just taken a long time to look at it. And I thought that being successful, quote unquote, uh, I used that as a shield. Yep. Yeah, I just, I did. And so, um, even, but that's fleeting. It's not really this, this kind of work, the, these conversations, whatever this, whatever the, we're putting this out into the universe. However it impacts it, we may not, you may not be around to see it, but it's going to have some kind of effect um, on someone's life. And so 
Well, consider both, you know, both of our moms and Richard Leiter are the only people who are going to listen to it. I mean, I hope we make a big impact. <laughs> Just kidding. I, you know what? My mom asks me all the time how to listen to the podcast, and I tell her, I, she, I'm like, Ma, I don't know. Like, I got to download this. <laughs> she says, I have no idea. My sister, like, two weeks ago, I was like, oh, I just downloaded Spotify. <laughs> I was like, oh, great. Like, I lo- Thanks for the support, guys. So, yeah. Uh, so, Richard, we got one listener in Richard. So, um. I don't know yet. I haven't asked him. So, I don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. But, you know, we got three people here. Uh, so, yeah. Um, this is part of it. This is part of this journey and part of this me, you know, taking off my armor is, you know, this podcast. I think it just came about naturally. I just felt that I was finding so much of myself and... At one point, I think I just found my voice, so I said I need to share it. Um, and like you know, like we said earlier, I'm not an expert on any of this. I can just talk about what my experience has been, and and knowing you know even the conversations we've had, where you've talked to people who've told you things, and I'm like, gosh, I had the same experience, and same with you. Like yeah. you have conversations all the time where people, you're like, gosh, I have the same experience over you know this period of time, and that is where I think we can do the best work because we start to realize shit we have a lot more in common than we do different and we don't focus enough on the 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 common uh experiences the common good even the common bad i mean i feel like actually no the common bad is there's a lot of common bad people are die on these hills yep mass no mass vax no vax (laughs) q anon left right like it's it's getting very hilly out there it's super hilly um (laughs) But at the end of the day, I think the common good in all of that, if you want to try to find it, is that everybody wants to be healthy. Yep. So why don't we why aren't we figuring that out? Why aren't we talking about it from that point of view? We just all want to be healthy. Um, and everybody wants the best for their neighbor, I have hope, right? And their kids. So how can we work together to try this? We don't need to be fighting against each other. Well, and I think something that's made this more fun for me. So mm. I was, I mentioned paramedic. Yeah. My job is come to rescue. And I would listen to rescue, listen to save. And frankly, my coaching certification was to actually take that out of me and learn to be of service. Mm-hmm. And frankly, learn how to listen to be influenced. Okay. Like, like I would listen to engage or listen to fix or so, I mean, not too long ago, you could have told me your stories and I would try to fix it. I would try mm-hmm. to make it better. And I'm glad we've met now because I'm listening to be influenced, hearing your experience. I'm sure it validates some of the things I've heard, but not all of it. So I've gotten to learn more. And we get to be here in a conversation where we're both learning from each other. And what it means is when we connect, we connect. But when you say, you know what, Sarah, there's there's some shit going down here that's happening in the black community that's not awesome. I'm not going to go try to fix it or do anything. I'm going to, I'm just going to be here for you in any way. Cause I know even if I don't experience, it doesn't mean it's not true Right. and have enough knowledge in that. And even if it's, you know, having done some research about the history of slavery and, and, and kind of the, the black experience in America, I have less experience in other areas and for other groups. And right. so to just know, okay, tell me more, yeah. help me understand. Okay. That's really fascinating. Not to help me understand so I can be a better person. Help me understand so I can be a better friend to you. Yeah. And I think that's been missing a lot. Like we, we want to listen for action. Right. So especially white people, we listen. Okay, we want to fix. 
well, now we're white saviors. We want to fix because we want to feel better. Or I want to talk to you because I want to know about the black experience. Well, now I've just tokenized you, right? right, right Instead right. of like, I just want to be with you. And by the way, you happen to be black. I happen to be women. We have experiences. Yeah. And you're going to bring that into the room. And I'm going to get curious versus trying to, yep, check, got it, got yeah, it, yeah, got it, yeah. or fix or whatever these things and by the way we're talking about race and gender but we do this all the time in relationships my, mm -hmm. my husband is a fixer i love him to death he loves problem solving but i have to say i have something for you and it's not for you to fix yeah right yeah. so so we're talking race gender and some of the dei components but it could be about washing the dishes like yeah. like sometimes just listen and my husband has to say i just had a bad day nothing you need to fix i don't need your coaching because you know if you're married to a coach that's a fun experience <laughs> <laughs> sorry matt um but you know it's like i just need to talk about it yeah. and i and i actually as an introvert i don't know how i feel about it so let me stew on it and yeah. that was really hard to give him space because it hurt me to see him in this space, well, that's about me. That has nothing to do with him. And as a great partner, I realize, let him, let him do what he needs to do, mm -hmm. and he'll come to me. But sometimes I might not be the right person. He's got to call his buddy, or he has to call his coach, or whomever. And so I think you're right on that. If we if we connect on the human side, then we can start learning more about each other and start to understand. Wow, okay, I didn't realize that. That mm -hmm. sucks. You're, you, I love the quote that went around uh, when COVID started. We're not in the same boat. We're in the same storm, mm -hmm. but we all have very different boats and different experiences. And I think um, I'm not going to remember the most recent um, police shooting of a black man, but I remember just feeling a weight and emotion and realizing mine is still different. Mm -hmm. We're not suffering a, a collective hurt. And that's actually a bit privileged for me to think we're having a collective hurt because as a white woman, I don't have the collective of the black community that's hurting right now. Right. And that was an important thing. And I just, this is just in the last year that I'm starting to learn at a very deep level, these experiences that I, I want to bring back then to white people, cisgender, straight men, mm -hmm. whatever the group is to start saying, as a white woman, this is my journey to learn about the experience of difference that I don't experience and understand that as much as I want to understand what you're experiencing, be your biggest fan and do all these things, uh, it would be insulting for me to say I'm walking in your shoes right. because I can't. Right. So there has to be space. When we say we walk into people's shoes, I think we miss the opportunity to be curious and create space for both of us. Mm -hmm to keep learning and keep growing. And for anyone who's been in a long-term relationship, they know this. Yeah. Like the healthiest relationships are the ones where we stay curious and keep enough space and tension to realize, oh, I don't know how you are. I'll never know how you are. And frankly, as my husband and I are moving into close to 50 and, and middle age, which is shocks the hell out of me, <laughs> I gotta be honest, right? That, that kind of reminder of who we are as this person, like neither one of us know. Right. So how do I, how can I imprint on him what I make up? So, yeah. sorry, I just now went on my own tangent this and is passion. What, this is great. This is good stuff. <laughs> and, and, and ideas of, of just going back to what you started this is connecting on a personal level. Yeah. And it's that personal level that helps me understand the systems yes. that in my privileged seat and my ability to sit in certain rooms that not everyone gets to sit in, I can start dismantling some of these systems and pointing to new systems that are more inclusive for a whole than just inclusive for one. Wow. I mean, I don't even, that was a great, 
that's a great segue to like end it that was i don't wanna um that was good i, I um we could we could go on forever we could probably go on for two hours um there's so many things like I, don't know, I feel like when we just when we talk, it just just goes, it just flows. I love that. I learned so much. I've learned honestly. I remember something that stuck out to me was at the last conversation we had um, before you came. I was telling you how I was upset about that last opportunity, more or less, and how how petty I am. <laughs> and, and as it left me, you're like, you know what? I'll let you be the petty one. I'm not. And then I learned. I learned in that moment. I'm like, wow, she's she's right. She's got a great point. Um, I can be very petty. So I was. So you can't hang that out for, for your listeners to not understand. But basically, we had an opportunity to work with <laughs> with a group. And it, it, they weren't interested in working with us. But we, when we talked about it, they maybe weren't ready for what we were given. They were going a different route. And yes, you were having a petty moment. You get to fully have it and love it. And, and it's fantastic. At the same time, it's like, cool. Let's put our time and energy back to evoking uh, my dear friend, Richard Leiter, who hopefully you can meet someday. Yeah. Um, is let's let's bring our energy and our and our passion to the places that want it. Yep, and that that's what I learned in that moment. I'm like, she's right. It, that that was absolutely a a moment I had to step back and say, wow, she's she's very right. So, um, and I I think I took it personal. I don't. I'm still sitting with it, but I took it personal, and that's why I responded the way I did. So, um, it took a lot of nose for me to get here. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sitting here as if I wasn't petty. I can be as petty as the pettiest petty people. <laughs> um, and I can certainly take things personal. But in this moment, yeah. I happen to not be petty. Don't yeah. worry. It's going to come back around. You're yeah. going to be patting me on the back and say, it's cool, Sarah. Yeah, Chill yeah, out. Yeah. We didn't want this one yeah. anyway. So That's funny. I don't stand here as someone who's wise always. I'm wise. I was wise in that moment. Yeah. Um, well, this has been fun. This has been great. Um is there anything else on your mind you want to talk about? Anything else you want to say? No? I, I, just gratitude. This was really fun. We've been yeah. talking about it for a long time. I know. You know, I, I, I envision this being um, happening in Michigan. I was just going to make it a point to fly out there. I've never been, actually. But I'm thinking, you know, uh, I, I have to have Sarah on the podcast. I don't want to do it via uh, remotely or via Zoom or whatever. So, so, you know, I'll find time in my schedule to go out to Michigan. And then here this happens. Here this like, happens. It's perfect, perfect timing. So I'm glad we have, were able to make it happen. Um, thank you for taking the time. I hope you've been enjoying your trip to Rochester. It's been fantastic. Uh, the weather could have been a little nicer. It's a little chilly the last couple of days. but um, I don't mind it. After no. 90 degrees and 100% humidity in Michigan, oh. it's been fantastic. <laughs> okay, I mean, you remember, I come from San Francisco Bay Area. That's it's true. 40s in the summer. Oh, oh that's right. The fog in the oh, that's city. Right. There you go. Yeah. That's fair. Um, so we're going to wrap it up, but thanks for listening today. Um, if you like this podcast, please subscribe to, uh, the, you know, hit the subscribe button on YouTube. What is it? Google, Spotify, Apple podcasts. I don't know why you're looking at me. Breaker. I have no clue what you're talking about. I don't about. even, I, these are all the, the, we're on all the platforms, streaming platforms. So please subscribe, share this with your friends and family. Um, comment on the section below your thoughts on this, this episode. I know that we, uh, we talked a lot about a lot of things and, Hopefully you guys get something from it. Um, but thank you for your continued support. And I look forward to connecting with you guys next time. Later. Thank you for joining me on this episode of My Humble Opinion. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Until next week, I'm Emory Lewis, and this is My Humble Opinion.